As a thankful recipient of many, many skincare products over the years, I've learned to discern what is naturally actually activating my skin to rebalance and recalibrate on its own. That's what your skin is meant to be doing, and it keeps getting disrupted by all these choices that we make. So, when the founder and creator of Herbal Face Food reached out to me, I was all ears. I didn't know why at first. It turns out that Herbal Face Food is the most potent antioxidant skincare line on the market today, period. The raw plant ingredients in each of their products are never processed, never manipulated with synthetics or emulsifiers. These anti-aging botanicals are combined with the most precious plant concentrates, and they have changed my skin. Here's how. I'm going to talk about two of the products, the Herbal Face Food Serums and the Cream. The serums contain powerful phytoenzymes and antioxidants. These are activated and infused into your tissues. They hydrate and increase the resiliency of your skin, and they feel like they're plumping up your face. I use Serum 1 daily. I use Serum 2 when I'm tired and I need extra firming for my skin. And I use the X, which is also known as the Cure, for a small patch of rosacea that flares up every now and again, which you cannot see because of these products. When you feed your skin with herbal face food, you will feel real live ingredients at work. An activating flush, an invigorating tingle, some warmth, all of these are evidence of your skin healing at the cellular level and years of damage reversing. The cream is the most potent moisturizer I've ever tried, and I've tried them all. I live in the high desert. This cream contains 102 of the world's most powerful anti-aging botanicals and is also the world's first and only edible SPF <laughs> with a protection rating of SPF 50+. Plus. And this is accomplished 100% by plant power. And you can expect intense hydration, soothing for your tired skin. You can expect to see inflammation calmed and rebuilding of elasticity so your complexion looks and feels more smooth, and more radiant. Herbal face food is not plant-based. It's plant-powered. It has the highest rating on the ORAC anti-aging scale. ORAC means oxygen radical absorbance capacity. I never knew what that meant before. Highest, over 30 million on that scale. By contrast, vitamin C in skincare rates under 100,000. Herbal face food is using all post-consumer recycled materials and packaging. They use glass and aluminum, which is super easy to recycle as well. The products and packaging are 99% free of plastics. They contain no ingredients that involve the destruction or harm of any plant, animal, or marine life. These are 100% plants only, these products. These active concentrates are coming from the seeds, the fruits, the leaves, or the flowers of the plants only. These products have been a complete revolution for me. I know that you will love the way your skin looks and feels after using it even for just a day or two. And the best part is that Herbal Face Food has offered us, you, my community, a code to receive 20% off forever, ever. The code is capital E-L-E-N-A 20. Once again, that's my name in all caps, ELENA2020. The site is herbalfacefood.com. The code is all caps ELENA20. It's not just your first purchase, it's any purchase. You will love these products, and I am so grateful, Herbal Face Food, for the change that you have made in my life. Thank you. Welcome to the Practice You podcast. My name is Elena Brower. Together, we'll explore and enjoy content and conversations around mastering transitions. In our relations, our wellness, our careers, our families, and especially in our missions and visions. You are invited to learn and love and listen with me. Welcome to Practice You. Welcome back to the podcast. I have with me a woman who's become a dear friend, began as a student, is now an author, a healer, uh, 
this is a trigger warning for you if you need to know this, my listener. Kathleen has endured a great deal of chronic sexual violence as a child, and we are going to explore what this has wrought for her in her life and how she is using it to serve others. If this is a touchy topic for you or in any way causes uh, re-traumatization, I would encourage you to listen slowly, if at all. You may find this to be a very healing episode. Kathleen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Elena. I'm so glad to be here today. Yeah, it's a real long journey for this. When I met you, we were in New Haven. I was teaching a workshop at Breathe Yoga, Breathing I believe room. it's called. Breathing Pardon room. me. Yeah. Breathing Room. Thank you. Pardon <laughs> me. Breathing Room in New Haven, Connecticut. Dear friends, and I was introduced to you through Sarah, I believe. Is that true? Yes. Yep. Great. You came to my class. You had already experienced some of the practices on GLOW. Uh, is that true as well? Yes. Um, I had started probably a year before I met you and um, started from nothing mm. and uh, learned to love yoga. Yes. I think it's best if we read the back cover of your book. The name of the book is The Other Side of the Wall. I wondered how many days had passed between my perfect day wearing my first communion dress and the day my perpetrator put his evil plan into place. A few weeks before my seventh birthday, I sat on the wall bordering my driveway. My favorite big kid in the neighborhood sat with me that day. She invited me to try out for a neighborhood play in their garage. Enticed with the feeling of being included was all it took. The lure was set in motion. Keeping her secret by crossing my heart and swearing to silence sealed the deal. When the garage door closed and a filthy chair was pushed tightly under the doorknob, my heart sank to the place that knows something horrible is about to happen and there's no way out. On my 38th Thanksgiving, I woke up screaming with no sound after having the worst night terror I'd ever experienced. This life-altering awakening triggered my carefully tucked away memories I'd chosen never to address. On this day, I began the long, arduous journey to heal from my childhood nightmare. Kathleen, how old are you now? Uh, 65. So close to 30 years mm -hmm. is this journey of healing. The yes. beginning of this chronic sexual assault as a child happened when you were seven, and it went on for how many years? Until uh, I was just before 13 years old. This was a neighbor of yours, correct? Yes, he was. Uh, just a few doors down. Yes, and he's no longer alive. No, he is not. He died when he was in his early 30s. In a car accident. Yes. Yes, he did. Karma. Yeah, he did fall off the back of a car and um, fractured his neck. I would call that slightly appropriate for right now. Mm -hmm. The book itself has several different fonts, and I want the folks who are listening, if you're listening and you have experienced this level of trauma in any way, Kathleen was so traumatized, in fact, and so under the uh, impression that she had to continue this traumatization of her body, she split herself into several personalities. Dissociative disorder is the name of the particular characterization of what she did in order to survive. I would love, Kathleen, for you to talk about this so that our listener can learn a little bit more about what it takes for a small child to endure something as horrific as this. Mm -hmm. Well, in the very beginning, I didn't exactly have those powers of dissociation. And in the youngest say first few months, time is hard to tell. I 
did endure each assault without a real ability to dissociate other than to maybe wander my mind towards the ceiling or something like that. Um, but then as the assaults or uh, the things that he did got more severe and I couldn't seem to tolerate it anymore. Um, I don't know exactly when the first time it really happened where I finally got some refuge from what was happening to me uh, while I was in the garage. Um, but I think it just came to a point where something had to give, so to speak. And I would feel this uh, empty space a little bit first. And then there would be another part of me mm. that seemed to take over little Kathy's spot. Um, in the beginning, I really didn't know how to explain this at all because I was just a little girl. As time went on through the years, I did recognize different voices coming out of my mouth or even just voices in my head. I knew sometimes that I must have had refuge because I don't remember, I, or I didn't remember um, being in the garage that day, but I would see afterwards the results right. of having been there. So um, it was kind of a surprise in the beginning but then I did kind of get to know uh, the inside parts of me, which I'm really grateful for. That moment of silence before you felt the other part emerge. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting. I was speaking to a friend of mine who suffers from seizure disorder. And there's that also that moment of like an aura. Aura. Yes. That is kind of what it has felt like because I've had auras from uh, migraine headaches mm -hmm. and something really strange happens before I get a migraine and uh, sometimes my vision is off but yes I do know what an aura feels like and it really is just this space and as I tell you that my eyes are closed I know you can't see me <laughs> But my eyes are closed because that's kind of what it felt like. Like I would go inside somewhere deep. Um, and I felt like it was a, a blessing. Like I was granted this special power was kind of how I saw it when I was a child. And I honor that now. In the book, you very carefully changed the font as you change the voices, which was incredibly enlightening and helpful yeah. to understand. If you're listening to this, my listener, we are here with you. This is a very difficult subject matter. I myself, I don't believe I've ever endured anything such as this. And I too am very shaky right now. So I just want to honor that. I'm holding the book in my I hand. Honor that. Thank you. <laughs> I honor you every day as we do privately. Yes, and I'm holding my book too. I'm holding it in my hand. Um, it feels good. There was one page that really struck me, the page 130 in the book, Reasons Why Not to Kill Myself. Mm. Because I love Timmy, my son. He loves me and I, he needs me to be his mother. Because I deserve to live. Because I won't let Daryl win because my life has value even when I can't see it, because it was not my fault, because I will feel better eventually, because if I die today, I will never again feel the joy, freedom, and strength I feel when I run, because if I die today, I will never again feel the love of my family and friends, because of the seconds that do because the seconds do not cease passing to the next, because even if it feels like time has become an unbearably heavy stone, it is not. All I have to do is endure the weight and get to the next second. 
because the will to live is not a cruel punishment, even if it feels like that at times. Life is a precious gift because I owe my inner children. They are the reason I am here. If I die today, I will erase the meaning of their suffering and incredible endurance. That is a great loss because I already have the skills to find my healing path. I've done it over and over and over again because I deserve peace that will come after this battle is won and it will be won one minute at a time because I am furious that I have suffered the pain of his evil and filth because it is critical that I survive because you say it will get better. You say I will be happier and no real love. You say there is nothing gross about me because you say I am lovable because you care about me because you say I'm worth listening to because you say my hands are clean and not tied anymore because you say I can use my voice because I really want to know my little girl inside. She must be very, very strong. Very. <sighs> yeah. So one of the questions that I am afraid to ask, but I know it's important because I feel very somehow connected to this. And I remember times in my own childhood when I was sort of inventing alter egos to solve problems that were not nearly as dire or traumatic as, as this. I would love to talk about these alter ego children that you designed that from which you were able to dissociate from your, your, your own self, <laughs> Kathy, mm -hmm. and then create these other selves in quotes to endure these assaults. Is that okay with you? Yes, that's perfectly okay. I'd love to talk about them. Okay. I think it's relevant for a lot of us more, more of us than we might think. Yeah. And as I mentioned earlier in the book, you have different fonts for each of the voices. So that was helpful to me to start to understand what I used to do as a kid. I did, I, not to the extent that you did, but I definitely have done this. Um, teach us about the, the different children, their names, their voices, and how they served the, the healing. Okay. So before I answer that direct question, I, I would like to say that when I wrote the first half of the book, I really felt like I was just a vessel. The fonts were chosen by me, the adult, but I could never rewrite this book again without allowing those children inside of me to rewrite it again. That I understand. So, um, Little Kathy was just how I began, a very innocent, uh, very well-loved little six or seven-year-old when this all began. I have a wonderful, loving family. I trusted them. I never lied to them or anything like that. And then when I was lured um, in the beginning to the garage, and things had gotten uh, more severe uh, that I couldn't tolerate it anymore. Um, a couple parts came to me for help. And there's actually one part that I didn't put in the book, but her name is Emma. I did mention her briefly. Yeah, I remember. She was just this little part of me that... Um, when I was not free to move, when I was in the garage, she taught me how to finger dance. And so it was kind of felt like a trick because I love to dance. I, I loved making believe I was a ballerina. And it was the earliest way that I felt relief. And that was... Uh, letting Emma come to me and my fingers danced and it was unnoticed. So it was a safe place to go to. And I, mm. I could see Emma dancing uh, or 
I was seeing myself dancing. It's kind of hard to describe, but she was the first. Um, wow. Yeah. I can actually feel that in my body. Yeah. Uh, the relief that that would have brought. Thank you for sharing that. It was the only movement that I could make. And so it was very freeing. Yes. And comforting. Then there uh, was times when I, especially as I got a wee bit older, that I would have an anger feeling in me because of what was happening. But I, little Kathy had a tendency to cry more when she got angry or scared or while she was in the garage. So on occasion, a very brave part of me and a very angry part of me, Rachel, who I adore, um, would come to like give little Kathy rest. And sometimes Rachel got us in trouble, however, but she would be angry. And I, I do feel like it was a release uh, from my body because it's very hard to contain the kind of anger or fear that you fear, feel when you're going through something like this. And so she would get really mad and she would kind of even swear like he did. And she had fists, really strong fists. So again, it was in my hands. This anger was in my hands. I, I don't believe I ever punched anybody, but she held that in her hands and she would stand up. She had a different posture than little Kathy. She was, she was stronger. So beautiful. The, the, the mind. Yeah. So it's so, it's both so magnificent, nuanced and healing. And then at the same time, it can be so deleterious to us. Yes. This this is such a testament to the magic of the human mind. Go on, please. This is riveting for me. So I Rose is spoken about a lot in the book because she she really did just come and kind of swoop in to help little Kathy when the uh, assaults were, they moved me or us. I have trouble with pronouns here. Um from the garage to this outside place that was not that far from my neighborhood. Um, And that huge change going from, I know this sounds strange, but the safety of the garage, because that's what little Kathy was used to, and then was being moved to another place, which I would like to say was kidnapping. But... Rose, that's when she came into play. And um, she came into play because of the scary part of when little Kathy's t-shirt was pulled up over her face um, to get us from one place to the other. And Rose loves purple. That's one of her characteristics. I happen to be wearing purple today. And she was young like little Kathy but she just took over and I don't think it hurt her any less than it hurt little Kathy but she endured some of the worst of the things that happened Um, and I never thought in a million years that she would ever write her chapters Um, because I think she carried the most, um, damage or I hate to use that word, Mm -hmm. but, um, well, she, she carried the most pain. She did carry the most pain and saw some of the worst experience or was part of some of the worst experiences that we went through. I would like to mention about Rose is that once she was, um, had taken over the way that she dissociated beyond being Rose 
was to go to the sky because that was at the outside place and that was her view was the blue sky with trees up above and that's how she survived taking care of little Kathy by going to the sky and I always when talking about Rose I get a little bit emotional because um, of her sacrifice and what she did um, and it brings me back to what you read previously about the reasons to live and because if I had chosen not to live I would have disregarded all of what these miraculous uh, parts of me did to survive and so I will always carry them with me as an adult and no longer is it a secret. I don't know if you realize this and I've said this to you for many many years now but now that you're sharing your story there are so many women and children and men as well mm-hmm. who and those of non-binary status frankly yeah who will be helped and served by this and so i thank you from the bottom of my heart for all of those humans who you will be helping thank you and i i was very touched by that immediately after my book came out and people that I work with purchased the book and started to read. And one by one, that first week it was out, 12 women came to me either by private messaging or in person to my office at the hospital, um, in the hallways, in the parking lots, just to say, Thank you. And because they were silent too, they didn't, many of them had not told their truth to anybody. And some of them it had recently happened to. So uh, it was a really, it made me know I made the right decision to tell my story. Yeah, I would say. So. Okay, so we have Emma, we have Rachel, we have Rose. Rose. Um, oh, Candy um, is a big part in my life. Even now, I, I love to experience her uh, more internally now. Um, but she was a very um, spiritual, calm uh caretaking part of me. Um, She actually was asked to do some uncomfortable things at the outside place. Uh, And she did it with such grace and such care of Rose and of little Kathy. Um, And she's even helped me in my work as a nurse. Uh, Her compassion, she has such a great compassion. And I have seen over my 45 years of nursing, I've seen many deaths. I've been with uh, a hospice patient, sat with families. And when the patient would pass and we would, prepare our the patient's body candy would appear she would come and she would so reverently take care to do this job gently and with respect and so that's another part of her she has so much respect she's such a part of you this candy <gasps> I love- currently i mean i love candy oh my god when i read her in her sort of way in her spaces in the book. Oh, I just feel so kindred. And I feel like you are as well as in your current form. That, you know, in your compliment. Thank you. 
Yeah, it's really beautiful. Yes, I, that covers everybody. Oh, no, I got no. one more. One more. <laughs> I yes. would love yes. to talk about. Yes, and, she's important. So. And that's Carol. And her name is sort of spelt just like Daryl. Um, and because she actually has oh, some very, uh, she's a very strong, strong personality. And she really was present for us to kind of play his game and to protect us, make sure we followed all the rules. She would even like not yell at us, but say, no, there's no crying here, you know, would tell us the rules so that we would remember. Uh, and she, I would feel a sense of power with her and Carol definitely, um, marched right up there and helped this horrible reign of terror end by her bravery. Kathy, um, I want to ask a real, this is the hardest question, the one that I'm most afraid to ask. Okay, go ahead. From seven to 12, mm -hmm. this is a five year span of time. Yeah. Please teach my listener and myself what it was that kept you in these clutches for so long and how you, how you could not speak of it. Okay. Because I think it will help yes. our listener to learn a little bit more about the nuances and the dangers. Well, my perpetrator, uh, he always kept his promises. He always, scared us with threats that he would hurt our family, that he would burn my house down. He had weapons and he definitely showed me that he would use them. And the silence was his biggest rule not to tell anybody. And so what he did to make sure that that happened was that he had this other person with him when Mondays would happen and the assaults would happen and that person took pictures. Oh my God. I saw the pictures and he told me that he would show them to my parents and they wouldn't love me anymore. That was really my clincher. I would have endured almost anything else. I wanted to protect my family. I spent my whole life, even into therapy, protecting my family because I love them and I didn't want them to ever be hurt by this. Um, so that became my job. I was going to not tell forever for fear of many things, but I, those pictures, I couldn't live with the fact that my parents might see them. And there was no way on God's green earth that I was gonna tell. This is so dastardly, so disgusting. Yes, he was. I'm so sorry. Thank you. Thank you. Did your parents live to hear you tell? Oh yes, they did. It wasn't easy and it wasn't until I was in my forties but my therapist at the time felt that I needed more support because we were getting into, I was having more flashbacks. I was having more PTSD symptoms. I was acting out upon myself. I needed a lot more support. And he knew from what I told him how wonderful my parents were. He knew that they would step up to the plate and they would help me. And so we made a plan to tell them, which was very difficult, but my parents were just wonderful uh, receiving the news. They believed every word I said um, because, mm. you know, Daryl had told me nobody would ever believe this. And their faces, you know, when I told were heartbreaking 
um, because they were looking at their own wristwatch, you know, that this is, had happened on their time. And, um, but they, after that, I didn't really want for anything. If I needed anything, any support, they helped so much in the caretaking of my son when I would go to work. Um, one beautiful example is that I would work weekends and I would drop my son off on Fridays. And then on Sunday evening, when I would be done, they would drive him to my house fully bathed and in his pajamas uh, so that we could just visit and then I could rest. What a gift. Yeah. They, that is the truth. The truth is such a healer. Yes. Like it's really think about that. The truth created this inroads with them to come back and, and parent you they, in a different way. Yeah. So beautiful. And they did. Yeah, they did. They still alive now. No, um, my, here I go with time again, but, um, I think my dad has been gone for 10 years and my mom, uh, we lost my mom three, three years ago. And I would have to say that, um, I was blessed to be able to be with them every second. Um, so beautiful. Very blessed. You chose nursing as a career, as so many wounded children do. Yeah. I consider myself one of the wounded children who chose to help in some way. I think most of us who are in the sort of healing world or in any, even fringely, we choose to do, you know, in some way what we wish would have been done for us. Yeah. I don't know how better to say that. Um, can you talk a little bit about some of the more inspiring moments of your work? I don't think I'm done with the book yet, but I do want to get back to this part because yeah. you text me often the stories from the field. Um, and it's been a field this year. And it's a field, I know. But it's basically been like wartime for the last year in in your hospital. And I would love just to you know, enlighten our listener on how, how it's been. Uh, well, last April was much different than this April. Um, last April was probably the most difficult, um, nursing experience, uh, I've ever been through in all my years of nursing. I normally work as a orthopedic nurse navigator, but we were no longer doing surgery. So I went back onto the floor and I helped out on the COVID unit. That was right where my office was located. And the things during that time period were really excruciating for all. There is a really hopeful story that came from that in the midst of a lot of darkness. Um, we had many uh, deaths on our floor um, in our intensive care unit. Um, but I did capture this one patient was just, I got so attached to because I would sit in his room uh, and listen to him because he was very scared, man in his 40s. And he was on the edge of going to ICU because he was declining. And I learned so much about who he really, really was. Um, and I got really attached. And I, I remember thinking to myself, if this man does not make it, that will be my last day of nursing. I I just, wow. I just didn't know why this was happening either. Like I, he had to live and that's all there was to it. And so with all the listening and then, um, we were going to have to move him to ICU because he had to go there for more extensive care. 
And I ran into my office to get my prayer candle that I keep in my office where I slip names of people or different prayers that people bring. Uh, and I put it under the prayer candle and that's where it lives. And I pray um, about those people. I brought him the prayer candle as he was on the stretcher going uh, to ICU. And I showed him that his name was under there. And I said that you were going to make this. We have got you. And we cried. He was afraid to see what ICU looked like. I told him, just close your eyes and they'll bring you to your own special place, to your own mm. room. And so then because of HIPAA, I really couldn't follow him once he went there. But will you explain what HIPAA is for the listener? I know it because I have doctors in the family, but yeah, it's just a protection. Once you are not taking care of the patient, you can no longer look up their information. Uh, it's private now only to the caregiver that is taking care of the patient. So I would have no business in that chart. It's a protection for your, for the patient. Yes. But I did have, um, some friends that came just to say, we have a friend of yours <laughs> that is doing all right, you know, and that's all that was said. But the day that he was getting ready to leave the hospital because he was better now, he, um, I asked permission to call him on his phone and I got permission to do that and he couldn't answer, but he called me back a couple of days later from home and he told me how well he was doing, that he still wore oxygen, that his wife was all better. Mm -hmm. Uh, it was all very positive. He said he went for a short walk, healed my soul. Wow. All. Wow. So there were so many human experiences that have happened in the past year, very similar to that by all of the people that I work with, that those are the gifts that come in the middle of the very seriousness of uh, COVID-19. And now that this sort of the most dire part has passed what we think has passed. Um, I was just, we're now at the first uh, of April, 2021, recording this episode, the book has just come out and I'm now hearing that Germany, France, UK, Canada, Eastern Canada are all locking down again. Mm-hmm variants have arisen very very troubling variants here in connecticut uh our numbers are all going back up again too they are they are yep our hospital was at zero for three hours uh, a couple of weeks ago i think that was the first time i think since it began and for three hours for three hours <laughs> and we wanted to have a party but it's felt like it would be a jinx. So we didn't. Um, and now our numbers are going back up again. We're very hopeful that this will be a short lived surge or a smaller one, but that is our experience right now. Okay. Kathy, is there anything else that we should address from this magical book, the other side of the wall? Anything else that we haven't addressed? I mean, I have so many pages um, folded. There were two things that I thought I might like to talk about. And one of them, I feel like I know that you would identify with. And that was how I learned to paint. When I spent time in the hospital, in a psychiatric hospital, I uh, went to an art class and... I learned how to paint out my feelings as opposed to holding them in or using other methods to heal that were not quite as effective. Right. And painting became something that was so healing to me. And as I called the book, The Other Side of the Wall, because there's two sides to my life, um, 
when I did show my paintings, it was called The Other Side of the Painting, was the name of the month that I showed my paintings. And I loved putting both sides of my life into those paintings. And art mm. therapy uh, was so healing to me. And the other thing that was so healing to me was yoga. And that changed my life because I had never dealt with the body part of me, which in the book, that part of me is called black flower. Um, so using my body through yoga was a real challenge in the beginning. I had to do it privately, which is why I took your classes online. And um, in the beginning, it was so triggering, but I just kept on. And I actually learned to revere my body and to know that it was worth something. And it also grounds me and keeps me sane. But I really felt like there was a piece of work I hadn't done yet, and that was the body work. And that's what helped me. I can have the worst day in the world. All I have to do is lay my yoga mat down and sit on it. And I will start to calm myself. And I like my body now. It's it, That's a new thing. Hmm. On page 335, you went from hiding your imagined poison hands to letting a sweet manicurist take care of you. Yes. What a beautiful, um, <laughs> what a beautiful, interesting, simple, profound recounting. I promised myself not to cry all over her station and just sit back and enjoy. The massage with fresh cucumber smelling lotion was the best part. Mm -hmm. The important thing for me was to acknowledge here that here was that I allowed myself to experience the care given mm. to my hands. I gave myself permission to notice she wasn't afraid mm. of my hands. I tried to be in the present, enjoying the smell, replacing the old rancid smells of my memory. Surrounded by other clients, sipping on wine, chatting about shopping, watching Food Network on the TV screen, this beautiful woman simply did her job. She had no idea she was comforting the dark, painful memories of the little children inside me. Mm. I could feel Black Flower's caution and Rachel saying, quote, finally, someone is doing something about this. <laughs> I heard the adult part of me praying nothing unusually young sounding would come out of my mouth. Oh, so beautiful, Kathleen. It was interesting that during the 90 minutes I sat in that chair, the manicurist and I spoke mostly about the mm. love of our children and the importance of their happiness. I gave her a ridiculously big <laughs> tip, walked out the door and literally felt free from bondage. I thought to myself, mm -hmm. we made it. And unlike many years ago, we did not cut our skin in search for freedom. We found yeah. a new way to heal. Our listener, I think you need to understand one thing, that if this hasn't touched your life in any way, you are blessed. And if it has, you are never, ever alone. Never alone. And there are, are avenues to take. And I guess I, I would like to just mention that sexual assault crisis services are in so many places in your communities. And if you don't know where they are, they are you can go to RAIN, capital R, capital A, capital I, capital N, capital N. And that is our national uh, sexual assault crisis center. They will direct you by your zip code where you can go to get help. And I've worked with sexual assault crisis services. They are amazing. And they are there for you, my fellow survivors. Um, I can never say enough about them. Their greatest gift is their listening. And they're believing. Yes. And SACS, you're now working for them. Isn't that true? 
Um, I worked with them for about five years, but uh, since I wrote this book, I've reconnected with the teachers that taught me how to be a sexual assault crisis advocate. And I'm going to be working with them this month because April is the Sexual Assault Awareness Month. And every day in April, uh, Sexual Assault Crisis will be doing um, something to promote awareness. And I am going to be speaking on one of their Thursdays, which they're calling Thriving Thursday. So I look forward to that, to the again, giving back. Because when I was little, those things didn't, there were no sexual assault crisis services, I don't think. But now there is a lot of help out there. There's a lot of education out there. um, And they are just amazing people that dedicate their life to helping sexual assault survivors. And even specifically areas where they're specifically helping children which uh, is very close to my heart. Of course. Lastly, your experience in Shavasana. Mm. Uh, Page 364. Um, That class that you came to that day that was your first live class, is that my understanding? (laughs) Yes. And as you laid in Shavasana, apparently um, there was some sort of silent ceremony in which you relieved all of the parts of you each of them from their duties and told them that you would always be with them but that they no longer were actually needed oh my god and um i just thought it might be interesting to talk about that because there the need for some sort of ceremony um is sorely underestimated in our society. And I think if you're listening to us and you've had an experience like this, whether you've dissociated and created other personalities to help you from within yourself or some other, you know, assistance has come, there are ways to move forward. And I thought it might be interesting just to hear you talk about this. That Shavasana was probably one of the most pivotal points of my healing. I did not expect to experience uh, that moment that I share in the book. But I finally said yes to really going inside and visiting each young part of me and and there was a blue backdrop in this visual in my mind which is a safe color for me and I was just so blessed to see them all come forward and I identified a little thing about each of them And I did. I gave them permission to just be them and that they didn't have to take care of me any longer. But we we would. We would stay together. And then I felt like I had this moment where after I had those conversations, like my heart opened up. And I could see everything that I thought I had lost um, during my years of abuse. And they were all right there waiting for me. All my prayers. Um, Mm. I mentioned my crooked smile. That hasn't seemed to go away. I love that face. (laughs) Don't you dare. Don't you dare. That is the best part of this phase. But I really, it's been a long journey, but I really feel like now, since I wrote this book, which was the scariest thing I've ever done, I did not know how people would respond to this book. 
And frankly, it's been so overwhelmingly wonderful, the response to the book, but it has, I feel a sense of freedom by telling the truth, by telling my story in this form. I have never felt this freedom before. And I must say it about 10 times a day because I'm getting used to it. I, I don't hear his voice any longer, Mm. any longer. I don't doubt myself. Like I used to doubt myself. Yes. I like when I, when I first met you, Elena, I thought, Oh my God, you know, I had parts of me that felt lesser than, and now, and I, and that was all me. That was just me because you were so generous and real and authentic. And I said, she, she's like my people, you know, uh, but I don't, I feel like a friendship now and a equality. And I know those are big words, but they're words I needed to grasp. I need to feel good enough and smart enough to accomplish doing, uh, putting this book together. And I did. Well, that's what's true. You're a teacher to me now. This is a, it's an extremely mutual yes. relation that we've created because at first you were putting me in such a position, yes. but the truth is with the moment I said to you, you need to write this book, yeah. you need to get this out. You are going to be helping other people. Yes. You became a teacher to yes. me. So, so touche. It is such a beautiful evolution, um, which I truly enjoyed every moment of. Hmm. I want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for heeding the call, even though you say, oh, you know, I said, I suggested to write the book. This book was waiting to be written and you were the person to write it. Yeah. Um, I want to thank you for helping all of the people into the future that you will be helping from this brave writing. And I want to thank you for creating a space for so many others to come forth and share what is so dark and so painful and so past in the service of future healing. Thank you so much. I love hearing that. Thank you so much. Yeah. Till soon. And any more updates that you have, I am super psyched to hear them. I, you know I will let you know. I love you. I love you so much. Thank you very, very much for this opportunity here today. You bet. You bet. More soon. Thank you, AG1, for sponsoring the Practice You podcast. My listener, you've been hearing me talk about AG1 for some time. I think I've been taking it daily for almost three years. 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens in one scoop in the morning. The best way to start your day supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and longevity, the conversation of the moment. The taste is delicious. It's suitable whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. It contains less than one gram of sugar. No nonsense in here at all. It's a multivitamin that your body will actually absorb. If you are wanting to make an investment in your health and longevity, AG1 costs you less than $3 a day, far less expensive, and definitely less time-consuming than many different supplements. Reclaim your health, arm your immune system with convenient, delicious daily nutrition.
And since you listen to the Practice You podcast, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of immune-boosting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Elena. Once again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash E-L-E-N-A. Take ownership of your health, my listener. And thank you, Athletic Greens and AG1.